For the Love of Teaching is a podcast brought to you by Teach Starter. We save teachers hours each week by bringing them quality, downloadable teaching resources for their classrooms. To make your classroom buzz, go to teachstutter.com. Warning, this episode of For the Love of Teaching contains content that's not suitable for children. Please, if you've got kids with you, save this one for a little bit later. Hi, I'm Bronwyn Brady. Welcome to For the Love of Teaching. The internet is an incredible resource, a wonderful utopia of seemingly endless knowledge, the keeper of interesting and diverse communities and ever-changing technologies. As teachers, it's both our privilege and our responsibility to integrate the cyber world into the lives of our students. But just like in the physical world, there are dangers to be aware of and protect against. The 11th of February is Safer Internet Day. The Office of the eSafety Commissioner says that on this day, millions of people around the world unite to raise awareness about online safety issues and inspire positive change. So it's a great opportunity to revise and review our own online safety initiatives. The website of the Office of the eSafety Commissioner has plenty of ideas and resources to help improve the online safety of your students or young children in your community. Do you, as an educator, feel adequately equipped to teach your students about cyber safety? Do you feel comfortable in your duty to report any incidences of misconduct against students in the online space? How do we keep young people safe online? And what do we do if things go wrong? In this episode, we'll ask all of these questions. I'll introduce myself as a 13-year-old girl named Lily. And I'll say, oh, I understand what you're going through. Being a kid can be tough. You know, I know what you're going through. I'll help you out with that. This isn't the voice of a cyber predator recalling his practised online grooming techniques. This is Australian Federal Police Clint Bopping, reenacting a scenario he uses in delivering the AFP's cyber safety program, Think You Know, to school-aged kids around the country. And they'll look at me and they'll go, uh, you're not a 13-year-old girl named Lily. And then I'll explain to them, how do you know that? And they'll say, well, because we can hear your voice, we can see what you look like and you're here in front of us. And I'll say, exactly. The Lily example, while confronting, is a way of helping students understand that the people they're connecting with, chatting with, playing games with and getting to know online might not be who they're representing themselves as. Humans are inherently social. Kids are no exception. But it's imperative to show students that online interactions are very different from real-life ones. There are many real-world cues missing from a text-based chat function in a game. Giveaways like a mature male voice, a stubbled and wrinkly face, illuminated by a blue computer screen, a coffee-splattered keyboard, and other mannerisms and nuances we teach our kids to look out for. Things that would set off warning bells, instinctive protection mechanisms, things that we would label as not right, off, or just creepy. On the internet, in the absence of the full picture, nothing is as it seems. In this episode, we'll hear more from Officer Clint Bopping, as well as from his colleague Leanne, a police officer from the Child Protection Assessment Team who takes the reports of online abuse of children. We'll also be hearing from Trent and Sam, two former primary teachers who have founded the Cyber Safety Project, a proactive educational program to teach kids about staying safe online. 
we believe that when they've got the strategies to keep themselves safe, that they actually enact those and have it, have the ability to do so. But we need to have some explicit conversations with young people about that and help them understand and, and just be aware of some of the challenges. Trent and I sort of started having those conversations around what actually has to happen in educating children, teachers and parents around proactive cyber safety strategies to have at school, at home, uh, throughout their entire childhood. Sam, one of the co-founders of the Cyber Safety Project, has seen firsthand in his own teaching experience that even small mistakes made online can have long-lasting social and emotional consequences. Sam recalls being a first-year teacher when the unthinkable happened. Uh, one of my students uh, who was given a, a school device uh, was taking that home and was jumping on Minecraft, playing with his friends a lot after school. Uh, and he started communicating with somebody that he didn't know. He was, I believe, 10, 11, year five age uh, at the time. Uh, and he was a very, very tech savvy young man. Um, but yeah, he certainly wasn't equipped with the skills to sort of be really cautious about going online and who he was talking to. And, um, you know, it was just very naive to the fact that the 13 year old girl that he was talking to throughout this period wasn't actually a 13 year old girl. Uh, and that really escalated to the point where he started uh, to share images, uh, quite explicit images, um, and obviously found himself in a really unfortunate situation. Sam's student had been lured in by an offender, posing as a teenaged girl, who had convinced him to send naked pictures of himself online. It was the observant eye of a specialist teacher at the school who made the alarming discovery on the boy's iPad. It was just during a PE class, actually. Uh, he wasn't participating and he was just on his, on his device and looked a little bit suspicious. And uh, the PE teacher went over and didn't take too long to sort of see exactly what was happening. We obviously got the principal, um, his parents involved immediately, and uh, from that point, all the all the appropriate actions were taken with the, uh, involving the police, uh, and that was months and months and months of follow-up um, in, in attempting to capture the perpetrator. In this case, the perpetrator had employed some common grooming techniques to earn the trust of the child online. One of the biggest things we see is probably manipulation, um, trying to convince the children that they either know them or they might try and relate to them in some way, whether it be on an emotional level. So, yeah, I guess there's a lot of different techniques that online groomers can use to try and convince the kids that, um, you know, they may be their friend um, and they may be somebody they could meet up with and, and, um, uh, and chat to in, in face-to-face situations. In keeping our kids cyber safe, there are three clear stakeholders. The children themselves, their parents and us, their teachers. Um, just even being able to have an open conversation and a, I suppose a meta language across the whole school between you know kids, teachers, parents and other people within the community that we're all on the same page. It's critical that we all collaborate to proactively protect kids from the dangers of the online space. For students themselves, the terrain is bumpy and the challenges are many. And I asked Trent what those challenges actually look like. Yeah, I think one of the big challenges for young people is that they're very excited to use the technology and we know that they're very savvy when it comes to using um, iPads and devices and apps. But one of the things that they probably don't know and understand is the challenges of, of technology is quite an adult world, but we have young people living in, and playing and working in those spaces. So um, they're sort of naive to some of the challenges and we have to find an approach that we can educate them in a way that they can start to understand um, the need to be cyber safe 
and the why around being cyber safe so that then we can start talking about how to maintain their safety and how to keep them safe. Um, we also know that they uh, want to stay safe when they're online. They don't want to see scary things and they know that they don't want um, inappropriate things popping up, particularly for the younger year levels. Next up, I wanted to know what parents report are their concerns when it comes to keeping their kids cyber safe. Trent and Sam have conducted surveys in the schools they work with and have derived some common issues parents are facing. Um, I think the, the real challenge that parents are facing is just the what they need to know in this space. It's changing every single day. Um, you know, we're really big advocates that we, we can't cop throwing our hands up anymore and saying, oh, my kid knows more than I do. They're going to be fine online because uh, um, they can't, they don't. Um, it's just the space where things can go wrong very, very quickly. So parents really need to be informed. So the biggest concern that parents are having is like, please, we need more information. What can we do? They want to learn. Uh, and we're really, we are really committed to providing that information through a variety of different platforms, uh, just to, to equip them with information to have conversations with their kids around how they're using technology in the home and at school. Trent adds that stranger danger is still a very real concern for parents. Really, the number one concern that we're hearing from them is around um, stranger danger and um, obviously uh, connecting with people that they don't know online and getting into situations similar to, to you know, the incident that happened in our own school, which is becoming ever too common. And we know more and more young people are getting access to devices that they use for their own purposes. So learners and young people are managing their own devices and just being able to understand what young people are doing, why they like to play um, the games that they play or interact in the online platforms that they interact with. Um, they don't necessarily have an interest in it themselves, but want to know and understand what the young people are doing in that space. They yeah. also want to really help help with understanding how they can connect with their children and, and what type of conversations they need to be having so that they can protect them. It sounds pretty confronting. But one thing that both Clint and Trent and Sam agree on is that the benefits of technology far outweigh the risks and children simply need to be taught how to appropriately use the tools at their fingertips. Technology is such a wonderful thing when used correctly and, you know, it's such a integral part of society these days that we just need to make sure we manage it correctly and that we give kids but also teachers the tools they need to be able to navigate that space in a, a safe way. Trent says it's important to adopt a proactive approach rather than a punitive one. And I think when we remove the technology from kids, even in our classrooms, or they get banned from using technology because of something they've done wrong on the technology, it's often around the behaviour, not the actual technology itself. And we know that technology is now used for a learning device as well. So it's, you know, we wouldn't take a piece of paper off a young person if they wrote something rude on it and then use that as a method to deliver a message to somebody. Um, so we shouldn't take the technology away from them either. That's our belief that technology should be seen as a big integration into what we do in our lives all the time. Um, so other mechanisms need to be put in place to be able to support that child to learn um, from their mistakes. So let's get into some of these effective, actionable strategies and learning experiences which can act as a preventative measure in keeping our students safe. The bottom line is that it's, you know, prevention's the key because by the time you need a cure, it's too late. So if we can prevent things from happening in the first instance by being informed and being educated about these topics and these issues and these apps and anything else that is in this space, if we can actually prevent something from happening in the first place, um, then we're winning. That's really what it comes down to. Trent and Sam from the Cyber Safety Project have a couple of really easy to implement teaching methods for cyber safety lessons in your classroom. For middle to upper primary students, they break down the types of online spaces into three easy to remember groups. Me, 
we and sea spaces? So one of the the concepts that we like to work with young people in our sessions and certainly through our curriculum and, and building a capacity for everyone in the whole community to understand is um, about knowing where you are online. So we um, use a, a method called me, we and see spaces online. So basically anything that we do with technology or using online spaces falls into one of those three categories. A me space being a very personal space like your internet banking the camera roll on your phone where you wouldn't actually let anybody else into. Those are the spaces online that we need to keep really safe and secure. And using passwords and passphrases is a really great way to be protecting yourself and keeping yourself in safe in those in those places in a me space online we know that lots of people try to get to us in those me spaces as well because quite often that's where our most personal and valuable information is so for example spamming and, and hacking into our, our our me spaces is something that is, is happening on a regular basis so we need to be really vigilant and know and understand how we can stay safe in that space um, when we expand that out to a broader space online a we space this is a really common space for young people to engage in an online spaces where they have private social media accounts or they set up spaces where potentially they might be playing games with people that they know, setting up game um, collaborative games um, and inviting their friends to play with them. But we know that with Wii Spaces, also strangers or other people outside of their realm may request to join their Wii Spaces or come in and play inside of those spaces. So it's important to understand the types of conversations that we have and who it is that we're allowing into those spaces. Yeah. Um, is, a, is a way to protect ourselves. And then the broader space, which is the C spaces online, these are public profiles, these are websites, these are places like YouTube, which are open channels where people can see absolutely anything that you're posting, saying or doing in those spaces, which is obviously a place where it makes us most vulnerable. They say that modelling the appropriate behaviour in these varied space types is an invaluable tool for teachers. Any teaching opportunity, whether that's a teacher's about to plug her device into uh, the interactive whiteboard and blacking out the screen because her emails are up there and having that, this is my me space, I certainly don't want anyone in the room seeing this, or using, um, you know, uh, we spaces that the school have, whether that's collaborative documents, uh, whether that's, um, you know, closed group chats for students to have within that as well, and also the C spaces that young people will be going on regularly researching, uh, researching projects or uh, playing uh, online games that have an educational feature within them as well. Their me, we, C spaces are absolutely everywhere in the classroom and being able to just refer to them when you can as a teacher um, consolidates that knowledge for the young person as well. It's automatic for us, but it's I guess it's not automatic for them yet. And it's a matter of modelling it so it becomes... Um becomes part of their internal dialogue, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, we, as, as teachers, we're the biggest models. As parents, we're the biggest models. So just modelling that positive behaviour or having those incidental conversations are really important. So in their sessions, Trent and Sam teach students to be mindful of the amount and type of information and the photographs they share in each of these different types of spaces. So it's really important for young people to start thinking about reviewing their profiles, looking at the types of photos that they're taking and posting in these online spaces and what does maybe two or three posts on a, on a profile, what are all of those three little pieces of information add up to? Um, so thinking about it from the perspective of maybe if your granny saw it, what would she think about uh, you, know, you now that she's seen that post? 
she might be an audience member or she might be someone following you on your, your social platforms and you've forgotten that and now she's seeing a certain photo that was maybe more teed towards your friends. Um, what would a stranger think? What would your best friend think? Uh, what, would a, what would a bully think if they saw that photo? Um, what would your future boss think? So thinking about it from lots of different perspectives um, opens up some really interesting conversations. And if we give the students the opportunity to talk about their experiences and uh, their knowledge and understanding of these, it's really interesting to see what they already do know and understand. And just building upon those strategies is a really helpful mechanism. And the future boss perspective is one we refer to often when we're working in high schools. And as a teaching moment, those incidental moments, as we just spoke about, you don't, you never have to look too far in mainstream media for a sports star, a politician, uh, somebody tweeting, saying something that as a 22 year old, that that might not be their beliefs as a 30 year old, uh, that's really come back and robbed them of some fantastic opportunities. Uh, we recently had a huge forum with um, some uh, elite athletes and around, you know, the things that they have done online, potentially might rob them of some really wonderful opportunities as elite sportsmen um, because the views that they had as 17, 18, 19 year olds may be very, very different to, you know, the professional athlete and the values of the organisations they become a part of later in life. It's also really important to remind kids that everyone makes mistakes and it's important to communicate with a trusted adult when something does go wrong online because then and only then can interventions take place. There's a little bit of a misconception about the idea of a digital footprint as well that I would love to talk about. Um, you know, when we think about the, the 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 concept that's often spoken with with young people is that posting is permanent. Um, that can be a really scary thought as well. Um, so when they do realise that they've made a mistake, it can create lots of anxiety around that young person and how they feel about themselves or the concerns that they may have around something that they've done and then they've realised that it that it is um, a mistake. We can remove things offline um, and they aren't found again but the reason why posting is potentially permanent is because if someone happens to screenshot or save that it is then out of our hands to be able to then manage that it's it's up to the person who now has that in their hands as to what they do with that next so the really important thing to be talking about with young people is that if you have made a mistake um, there are ways that we can remove things from the internet and have them removed but to, to know that it could be permanent. So we've talked a little bit about strategies and lessons for older children, but it's agreed that we need to start teaching students about cyber safety in the early years. And one of those strategies that we like to use with young people in our sessions and certainly through the work and the curriculum that we offer is around a concept called STOP. And STOP might sound really simple, but it needs to be a simple strategy so that we can understand that. But when we use the word STOP, the idea is around um, thinking about how you feel. So if you, as a young person, are thinking about safety, um, you know, one of our challenges has always been around it's quite a conceptual understanding safety. Um, it's not as easy to think physically about safety when we're using digital technology. So you can't put on a helmet to stay safe when you're using the technology. You can't put on a seatbelt or put on sunscreen to keep yourself safe which are strategies for in the physical world so how do we stay safe when we're online and that is to think about how you feel and if you're feeling a little unsure or worried concerned nervous or even happy excited um, these feelings can indicate whether we're being safe or whether we're not safe so if you are questioning your safety and you're feeling funny in the tummy the word stop's a helpful strategy because the idea is to stop doing what you're doing. But with that word stop, we've got four actions and it's S 
for silent. So if someone's chatting to you and you're not sure who they are or you're worried about the conversation or they're not making you feel very nice, then going silent is the first step because we don't want to be giving away any information or be saying things that we might regret. The letter T means to tell an adult so that we can get some support that we need who can maybe help us to calm down if we're feeling angry or maybe to also keep us safer if we're feeling unsafe or unsure. Um, O is about opting out of the game and getting out of what you're doing or, or getting out of the social media platform for some time so that you can actually take a breath and think about what your next steps are. And then the letter P is to play a new game. So we often encourage them to, if they're playing a game and they don't feel great, or they're worried about some, some their safety, that playing an offline game is often a good a good place to start. A puzzle or go outside and play basketball or yep. go and jump on your bike or, um, you know, go and play cards with your brother or sister. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that is outside of technology because it just gives you that moment to be able to um, relax mm-hmm. and start to think about a strategy to keep yourself safe. So these proactive strategies are great to have in our teaching toolboxes, but What is the appropriate and professional way to respond if something goes wrong? Leanne is a police officer who works in the child protection assessment team. So our team receives all of the reports of where Think You Know hasn't managed to prevent it and it's actually gone to the next level and it becomes a police matter. Leanne's role also involves working with Clint and the team at Think You Know using current reports to inform planning and education. Yep, so our team meets with Clint's team once a week. And we sit down and discuss what, what the latest trend is, what we're seeing, what are the kids using, what are the problems that the kids are finding on different apps. And then Clint's team can target the Think You Know advice to, and do you know how they do little research snippets about different apps? That's where they get that information for what to target. This next part's confronting, but I felt it was important to ask, what are the main types of incidents that Leanne records? Um, probably the most common one for teachers and school counsellors is it's more probably the teenage years or tween years where they're um, in relationships. They've shared needs of each other with each other and then the relationship busts up and then one of the parties will then get revenge on the other by sending out the images, so image-based abuse. So, yeah, mainly that is the more common one. But we do get um, younger ones, the younger kids, especially like now that school's just gone back, we get reports of children kind of, not unsupervised, but they they take the devices into their rooms and these are littler kids, more four to probably eight-year-olds. They just think it's funny and they'll take nude images, nude videos of themselves doing silly things, but they're naked and they'll upload that to the internet. In Australia, teachers are mandatory reporters of child sexual abuse. This means that we're legally required to report a belief formed on reasonable grounds in the course of our work that a child is or has been the subject of sexual abuse. It will be a requirement of your registration as a teacher that you've undertaken professional development in the areas of student protection and mandatory reporting, which must be updated every 12 months. If you have reasonable belief that a student has experienced abuse, please follow the student protection guidelines relevant in your state or territory. The appropriate reporting procedure will involve police. If your student has become the subject of peer bullying, please refer the issue to your school principal. But for Leanne, many of her reports come from trusted adults acting on behalf of children. She says that actually the majority of her reports come through the Think You Know website. Think You Know does have a, a button where it says you can report abuse. So we do get reports from parents from that. We also get 
um, reports from like sport coaches, like dancing teachers, sometimes from teachers and school counsellors. Um, we also get reports from foreign law enforcement and also from um, all of the apps. You might have seen an option to report abuse or misuse within apps. When Leanne says the AFP receives reports through the apps, this information comes in through these in-app report abuse buttons. So if a user or a parent or a trusted adult submits a response, each app developer has someone responsible for passing that report onto NECMEC, which is the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. And it's a private non-profit organisation established in 1984 by the United States Congress. So it's actually based in the US. NECMEC then passes that report on to police in the relevant jurisdiction. As the cyber world knows no geographical bounds, international cooperation and action is required to ensure our kids' safety. Next, I asked Leanne what happens once a report has reached the AFP. Oh, depending on the severity of it, we have um, joint um, teams in each capital city between the AFP and the state police. So we can send it to them or we can send it to the local police. If it's in like a country area, we'll send the report to them. It just, each report's different and it's, yeah, it it gets sent out to someone. It's just which police service or where or how is all a bit different. What sort of evidence and information do parents and teachers need to record to provide to police? Okay, the first thing we need parents to do is to take screenshots of everything. We, we need evidence, we need information that we can act on. So take screenshots of everything. We then ask the parents to block the person of interest and then we will... Um, then depending on what's happened, I'll recommend the parent maybe seek counselling for their child and then we will investigate and see where it, where we can take it. In the case of Sam's student, who we spoke about earlier in this episode, the relevant parties stepped into appropriate action, working effectively in their roles to remove danger and protect the child. If you'd like to book some education around cyber safety for your school, year level or class, both Think You Know and the Cyber Safety Project offer in-school presentations and educational materials to Aussie schools. Think You Know operates nationally as a collaboration between federal and state police services and is free to access. Yes, yeah, so Think You Know is Australia-wide. We've got a footprint in all metropolitan areas around Australia uh, and we continue to train state and territory police presenters and industry volunteers in our regional areas as well, contributing to a large capacity generally to deliver face-to-face sessions. And if it is in a remote or a more rural area where we may not be able to get there, we can facilitate a digital training session. Every year, we, as I said, every year we travel around Australia and retrain our state and territory police presenters and the youth program is delivered by state and territory police into the schools, um, into the classrooms for the students. And the Parents, Carers and Teachers program is delivered by our industry volunteers from our program partners, Microsoft, Datacom and Commonwealth Bank of Australia and Bankwest. Um, And they're the ones that will deliver the parents' presentations into um, the schools for parents and teachers and carers in collaboration with also state and territory police volunteers as well. Um, The presentations are free as well and, um, yeah, can be booked through the website, so they're quite easy to access. So to book a session, just visit www.thinkyouknowwithletteru.org.au and click on Book a Presentation. I'll pop a link in the show notes of this episode. The Cyber Safety Project was developed in Victoria by Trent and Sam, two former primary school teachers, and it's aligned to the national curriculum. 
It's really about empowering young people to have strategies that they can enact and not relying on adults to keep them safe, but have some things that they can draw upon to keep themselves safe when they're using technology. So the Cyber Safety Project offers student-based cyber safety shows and sessions which are tailored around the current themes for digitally engaged young people. The Cyber Safety Project also provides professional development to educators, providing proactive teaching strategies to live, work and play safely online. These help teachers to understand key trends and topics for digitally engaged children in today's world. It helps teachers discover the online teaching portal which they've developed with lesson plans, digital resources and activities. Yeah, well, we're really proud of what we've been able to um, you know, produce and, and we can see that there's been real impact in the schools that we've been able to work with. Trent and Sam from the Cyber Safety Project also provide evening parent information sessions. To book any of their sessions, visit www.cybersafetyproject.com.au and I'll pop all of this information and their social media links in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of For the Love of Teaching. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast app so that you get the latest updates on all the newest episodes. 